0: This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM.
1: Welcome back. I'm Professor Americus Reed here at the Wharton School. As you all know, they call me the founding member of the Four Horsemen of Marketing, aka the Ric Flair of Biz Radio. Today, I've got the style and profile like never before. This is Sirius XM's Business Radio, Channel 132, powered by the Wharton School of Business. Barbara is out today, so you're riding shotgun with your boy A.R. here at the magnificent institution called Wharton. We invented the concept of the business school. We create the knowledge that they write about in their cases. We went to Warden, and we saw you coming a mile away. Interestingly, we are not only investment bankers. We are also consultants, strategists, entrepreneurs, real estate gurus, management leaders, and, of course, marketers, where marketing is the glue that connects each of these areas to their clients. If you like what you're hearing, Marketing Matters airs live every Wednesday from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and is, of course, replayed several times throughout the week. I'm happy to welcome our next guest to the program. This is Nir Ayal, author of a book called Hook. How to Build Habit-Forming Products. Welcome to the program, Near. Thanks. Great to be here. It's very excited to have you here. Uh, you know, as I always like to do, Near, I'd love to give my listeners a bit of context. So when I bring guests and before they are about to uh, impart their wisdom upon my audience, I like my audience to kind of get a sense of their background, their journey, their pathway sure. to how they yeah. actually found the things that they are passionate about. So if you could start with your story, I'd love to hear a little bit of it.
0: Absolutely, yeah. So let's see. So about ten years ago, I had just successfully sold a company that I had founded, and we were in the intersection of gaming and advertising. And mm. these are two industries that, uh, let's face it, you know, advertising and, and video games are really uh, specialists in mind control. Right? They, <laughs> both industries mm-hmm. they they function by understanding human psychology, and I learned a heck of a lot in those two industries. And after that company was acquired, I had some time on my hands, and I came up with this hypothesis around how I wanted to allocate my human capital, what I want to do next. Mm-hmm. I started a, pre- a company before that one, and so I thought I'd start a third company. Interesting. And I had this hypothesis that the companies that would really dominate uh, the future of, of technology would be the ones that can form habits. And the reason I, I had this this epiphany was that I saw how our interfaces, our visual interfaces were shrinking. Mm-hmm.
2: So this was mm-hmm.
0: about uh, 2012 or so. Uh, and, and then I what, I, what I, well, I started the company before that I started the company in 2007, 2008, and then 2012 it was acquired. And w- w- what I noticed around that time is that products were going from the desktop interface to the, the laptop interface, then to the phone interface, which mm-hmm. was even smaller. And mm-hmm. then more recently to the, to the mobile to the, the uh, wearable interface smartwatches etc now we have uh, audible I- interfaces where we have you know Amazon Echo and uh, Microsoft Cortana and Google Home mm-hmm. the visual interface has completely disappeared and what what i realized was If you can't form a habit in a consumer's mind, if you're not the first-to-mind solution, Mm -hmm. then you might as well not even exist because the interface has shrunk and even disappeared. So there just isn't the room for the external triggers that there used to be, the ads, the notifications that there used to be. If you're not top of mind, you are apt to lose. And so I I was looking for a book about how to build habit-forming products, and I didn't find one. Mm. So I decided to write one. And I started doing, you know, years of research. I started talking. I was in Silicon Valley at a very opportune time where I had a front row seat to the rise of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram Mm -hmm. and WhatsApp and Slack. Mm -hmm. And I interviewed many of these founders as well as psychologists at Stanford. I ended up teaching for about five years at Stanford as well. And along that journey, I I developed this this formula, if you will, for how to build habits into your products. And that's where my book, Hooked,
1: came out of. Interesting. So the, I, the original impetus near was 2007, 2008. And you mm-hmm. saw that you, you were on the precipice of this. You saw this coming and you said, hey, I, I love this idea because I love the metaphor of, of sort of the incredible shrinking visual, right? It's this mm-hmm. idea that that interface is going to go away. And so right. it, only companies not only, but successful companies will be aware of that and already be prepared for that within the terms of their strategy and planning, correct? Mm-hmm.
0: Right, right, and it's not that every business needs a habit. I want mm-hmm. to be very clear. You know, mm-hmm. many companies don't require a habit. The, the The problem is that if you don't create a customer habit, you are constantly at the whim of competing on price and features, mm. price and features, and price and features, and and that's fine. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But if you're able to form a customer habit, for example, the way Google does, mm. you know, people don't think about the fact that there might even be the possibility right. mm-hmm. of a competitor's product that's better than Google. They just Google it. That's right. With little or no conscious thought. That's the very definition of a habit. Mm-hmm. And so if you can form a customer habit, that is a very powerful moat and very defensible part of your business.
1: So here's what's interesting. I love this point uh, that you make because it's a very fascinating point, near and this idea that... Really, you know habits are important. you know I do a, a a little program here at the school where we have folks from Google come in and we talk about you know their brand and one of the things I point out to them is that their brand is a great habit. Uh, sure. but let me get your thoughts near on this idea of habit uh, in the absence of emotion versus habit. Plus emotion. So, you know, one argument with Google is that, yeah, you know, you're in the ecosystem, but you're not really emotionally choosing Google. It's just sort of like that's what you're born into. You're born into the Google matrix, if you will. And unless somebody unplugs you, you're probably not going to break that habit. What are your thoughts there?
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I, th- I think what we see is a seismic shift in terms of how companies used to form a habit of mind versus mm-hmm. a habit of behavior. Mm-hmm. It used to be that big brands would spend billions of dollars, and many of them still do. Uh, you know, the most valuable companies in the world, if you think about you know, Coca-Cola, had to spend billions and billions of dollars mm-hmm. uh, on advertising. And the reason they did that was because what we call in psychology the mere exposure effect. Mm-hmm. That just by the fact that you have seen that logo you know, thousands and thousands of times in your life, we know that through the mere exposure effect creates greater affinity for that brand Mm -hmm. that's how companies used to Mm -hmm. uh, build a habit in customers brains but if you think about it when you think about today's most valuable companies companies like facebook and uh google and uh, apple and amazon you know these companies if you look at their at, at their operating expenses they spend a tiny, puny fraction uh, every year on advertising. They don't spend anywhere near the gobs of money that Coca-Cola or Nike mm-hmm. or any of these other companies have to spend. Mm-hmm. Well, why is that? It's because they're not using the mere exposure effect. What's different is that these companies are changing consumer habits not through display advertising. They're changing it through the product experience itself by using the product you are changing customer habits. That's a very big deal. That's exactly what I outline in my book.
1: This is very cool stuff. Listeners, uh, we are speaking with Nir Ayal. He just pointed out something very cool here, which is the notion of the mirror exposure effect. This is an effect in psychology that's very powerful. Basically says that every time you are subsequently exposed to a stimulus, there's a natural kind of psychological organic reaction that you just slowly start becoming more familiar and more favorable to it. And what Nir is saying is that we have to sort of understand how this habit forming process goes beyond that, but can be used to actually create a habit of behavior, not just a habit of kind of the kind of subconscious mind, which is what Zion's work uh, actually deals with in this so-called mirror exposure effect. So talk us through a little bit about how you think about this in the framework of the book, near.
0: Sure. So, so for for many companies, by the way, they they have to continue to spend that kind of money. You know, for example, uh, Geico, for example, has to keep running those commercials telling you about how you can save money with, mm-hmm. with uh, Geico. The problem, of course, is as I mentioned earlier, that if a comp- if a competitor comes out and right. has a big bucket of money to spend on advertising, mm-hmm. they can compete with them and say, well, we can do it even cheaper. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Whereas if you form a habit with the product, that's something that you that's very hard to to change a consumer's behavior around once you have that habit. Very much like, like Google. In fact, when it comes to Google, it's a great example of a consumer habit. You know, Many people think, well, Google is just better, right? <laughs> I just like it. I use it every day because it's just better than anything else. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out in head-to-head comparisons, yes. when they do uh, when you strip out the branding, yes. it's a 50-50 preference split. People can't tell a difference that's in the right. search results, if they don't know which is Bing and which is Google. That's and right. They don't even ask. They don't even say who is the better product. And so that's the real power of habit is that when you form a consumer habit – People stop looking for the competitor's product. They just use you out, out of habit, out of little or no conscious thought. So here's how you do it. Here's the the, the four steps to building a customer habit. Mm-hmm. What we find is that what's endemic to every habit-forming product, whether it's offline or online, we find that it has these four basic steps. It's called a hook. Okay. A hook has four steps of a trigger.
1: Gotcha. Action, and just to, just to, just to oh, jump yeah. in, sorry to interrupt you, here. this is also the name of the book. Please give our listeners the name of the book again so that they oh, can sure. start looking for that as well.
0: Yeah. So the book is called Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. Mm -hmm. And I'm giving you kind of the 30,000-foot overview of what is is a hook. Mm -hmm. Uh, A hook is these four steps of a trigger, action, reward, and investment. And so I can walk you through very quickly kind of these four basic steps. And I'm gonna give you an example of of a product that, you know, a lot of us use in consumer web. You know, we could do Google, we could do Facebook, we could do uh, enterprise products as well, by the way. Mm-hmm. But if you know, if you took take a look at Facebook by the way and just you know see why just why Facebook is so sticky, it's a really good example, but I want listeners to know that this same hook model can apply to any product mm-hmm. that y- is used with sufficient frequency mm-hmm. to form a habit. Gotcha. So here's the four basic steps. So every hook starts with an external trigger. An external trigger is a ping, a ding, a ring, something in our external <laughs> environment mm-hmm. that prompts us to action with some kind of information. In the case of Facebook, it's a notification. It's an email. It's something that gives you information for what to do next. Mm-hmm. Then comes the action phase. The action phase is defined. As the simplest behavior done in anticipation of a reward, so in the case of Facebook, it's opening the app. It's all you got to do. Gotcha. As soon as you open the app, you're taken to the third step of the hook, which is the variable reward phase. And the variable reward is really the, the engine of a hook. The variable reward is where there is some bit of mystery, some bit of mm. unknown okay. that keeps us engaged. And this is a very Skinnerian um, <laughs> example here. Yes. You know how, how Skinner had these, Pigeons, and he made them peck on these discs to get a reward, yep. and he found that when the rewards were given on a variable schedule, when mm-hmm. there was
2: uncertainty, right. the
0: pigeons peck more frequently. Right. So that's the exact same thing that keeps us you know, playing blackjack or on mm-hmm. a casino, pulling a slot machine casino game, uh, and that's exactly what keeps us scrolling our feed. It's what keeps us checking our Slack channels, our email accounts, watching TV, listening to the radio. All about variable rewards. So that's critical. Mm -hmm. And then finally, and this is really where technology makes things really interesting, is the investment phase. The investment phase is where the user puts something into the product that makes it better with use. And this is probably the most untapped opportunity I see today in today's business landscape is that many companies say, well, we'll just give people what they want and that's it.
2: Mm -hmm. And they're
0: not taking advantage of this opportunity to get people to invest in the product to make it better and better. I mean, if you think about today's most world-changing companies like you know, Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp and Slack and uh, you know, many other companies, they all are platforms where users are putting something into the product to make it better and better with use through data, content, followers, reputation. That's in a very important part of the investment phase mm-hmm. so that through successive cycles through these hooks, eventually, and this is where it gets really interesting, companies begin to associate their product Without the external trigger, they Uh, use the internal trigger. An internal trigger is a negative emotional state that people associate your product's use with. Sometimes this is done subconsciously. Actually, almost always it's Mm -hmm. done subconsciously. So the idea is when you're feeling lonely, you check Facebook or Instagram. When you're feeling uncertain, you Google. When you're feeling uh, bored, you check YouTube or the news or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. That's really powerful because now... There's no external stimulus required. It's all internally prompted.
1: Interesting. And so I, I love this idea. Let me just quickly uh, recapitulate it for our listeners. We have hook, and we have trigger, action, variable reward, and investment. And I, I love this analysis, Near, because... I think what's really cool from an underlying psychological perspective is that you are drawing upon kind of fundamental human behavioral aspects, if you will, to kind of understand kind of almost at a very basic but fundamental level uh, about these notions of habit. Let me ask you a question, though, with respect to that. So uh, as you are developing the the impetus to create that external trigger so that it can eventually turn into an internal trigger as people hook, 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 hook over time. Uh, What do you see as the key challenges that a company might make or mistake, I guess you might say, a mistake a company might make that might somehow uh, interfere with that process of converting the external trigger to an internal trigger? Are there mistakes that companies make that you can identify or give me your thoughts on that?
0: The biggest mistake is that companies think that the best product wins. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, That is a myth that's been perpetuated for far too long in the product design community, in the business community. You know, just build a better mousetrap, right? That's all you have to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm here to tell you that's just not the case. Uh, That that there are, you know, startup graveyards are full of companies that (laughs) had the best technology Mm -hmm. and didn't win, and Mm -hmm. didn't win because they were ineffective at creating customer habits. Changing customer behavior uh, is is much more important. To be, it's not the product that's necessarily the best in market the best technological uh, solution it's the one that becomes first to mind that's the product that carries the market
1: mhm what's interesting about this i want to jump to the investment piece because as you were talking about this near i was thinking about like the extreme case of inputs that uh, really create and enhance and make the product better and if the, the super extreme sort of aspect of this is like is a, is a product like ways right because without people like actually using it there's no product actually right right in right. some senses so so i think it's interesting you know and especially your point about in the investment piece uh, of hook the fourth uh, lever of uh, being very critical with tech i think that makes some important points would you say that's uh, a Absolutely. fair characterization
0: Absolutely, I mean, and Waze is a terrific example of, of how important the investment phase is. I mean, when they got started, it's interesting. I, I talked to some of the early members of the team, and you know, they told me how important it was to find these enthusiasts of the product mm-hmm. who were literally making their product for them in real time. And this is a characteristic of all these companies, and I think it's going to be a car- characteristic of all successful products in the future. And this is the seismic shift that we've seen. From the area of an era of industrialization, I remember uh, Henry Ford is credited with saying, "You can have any <laughs> color of Model T as long as, long as it's, it's black."
2: black. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: and, and the reason he said that it was because it was really hard for him to retool his shop to make the car in different colors. Well, today, think about how quickly you are making products for yourself in real time with these platforms, mm-hmm. based on your data, your content, your friendships, your relationships, your uh, your your, your uh, reputation. You are making Facebook and YouTube and Pinterest and and Slack and all of these products are being made and engineered to you, for you, by you Mm -hmm. because of how these platforms are set up to become habit-forming.
1: Very cool. Listeners, we are speaking with Nir Ayal. Uh, he is a writer, consultant, and teacher about the intersection of psychology, technology, and business. Fascinating topic. Uh, he writes, consults, and teaches about these issues. Uh, and he started and sold lots of different companies in this space. Tell us a little bit about how you have kind of through your own entrepreneurial efforts, Nir, uh, actually you know the, the hook model that's in the book mm-hmm. – has organically kind of emerged from you know these efforts and your successes. Talk about how you have refined the model uh, as you've developed your analysis over time.
0: Yeah, so, the, so the, you, you mentioned earlier how the model is based on a lot of uh, very uh, grounded psychology research, and that's that's really true. I, I was very conscious of. Uh, the replication crisis that's going right on right now in the psychology community. So I wanted—I didn't want any new studies. <laughs> I wanted, you know, thirty, forty, fifty-year-old research that yep. has been, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, that's very tried and true. Uh, operant conditioning mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, variable rewards. You know, these kind of things have been around for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, was in the 1940s and 50s. And so what I wanted to do is to take this very old research. that has been around forever. Uh, and and apply it to this new field, to this new age, where products can uh, be built in such a way to create healthy habits. And that was really my intent. You know, I, I, I didn't, I've never worked for these companies, the, these you know the Amazons or Googles of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to learn from them so that I can unlock their secrets for everybody else. Right? The, mm-hmm. the problem today mm-hmm. is that far too many products out there are just way too hard to use. Uh, they're <laughs> products that are used yes. one time and nobody ever wants to use again. Yes. So how amazing would it be if the products we use uh, in, our, in our day-to-day lives were things that not only built healthy habits in our lives, but also we're products that we want to use as opposed mm-hmm. to
1: feeling like we have to use them. Mm-hmm. And I think what I love about this analysis, because it ties into the classic research on psychology near, is the fact that you know it is kind of a, a, a positive way to kind of tap into something that could potentially be negative, right? So when you think about forming a habit, you know, this, you know, what I love about your analysis is like, you know, I, and it gives me sort of a, a point of caution and pause because yeah. it's like this can be used for bad and evil. Right. <laughs> right? Absolutely.
0: But you're like actually yeah, choosing to like. The reason I, I didn't I was, you know, my publisher wanted me to, to title the book. How to build addictive products? And she said, "You know, why, why habit for me? Nobody calls things habit for me." I said, "No, no, no. There, you don't understand. There's a big difference between an addiction, which mm-hmm. is a, a behavior that is a compulsion that we do despite the harm, mm-hmm. versus a habit. Because habits, we have many good habits mm-hmm. in our life. Mm-hmm. So the idea is, what if we could make?" You know, apps that that help people exercise more or eat healthier or be more productive at work. What if we made those products and services as engaging using the psychology mm-hmm. that the big guys like Google and Facebook use?
1: Mm-hmm. And, and what that's I,
0: exactly what's happened.
1: That's exactly. I mean, I love this idea, Anir, because uh, it, it really it sort of points to the the power of the positive aspects of psychology and how those things can be. Is sort of executed on, implemented within the strategic mindset and the framework to be able to actually bring joy, delight, and happiness into consumers' lives. Yes,
0: absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the book is uh, just nearing its fifth anniversary, and uh, I've collected stories over the years of people who have reached out and told me how they've used the book. And uh, one company called Kahoot just went public in Norway. They're nice. they're the largest educational software in the world mm-hmm. today, and they use the book to create these new habits in the classroom. Uh, I worked with a company called Paga, which has brought millions of previously unbanked people in Africa online uh-huh. and built new habits around uh, money uh, with, with, with people who had never had a banking account before. Interesting. BigBot uh, is a company I just wrote about that, that uh, has 3 million installs that get people to have a habit of working out in the gym more. Nice. So there's a lot of ways we can use this stuff for good.
1: I love, I love this idea. Take us a bit through more of give us a bit, because you gave us a 30,000 foot view, Near mm-hmm. when you talked about uh, the trigger, the action, the variable reward, and the investment. Take us a little bit deeper into, into some of these areas so that we can get a little bit granular and tease the book a little yeah. bit more for, for our listeners out there.
0: Yeah, I think you know the, probably the, the the first and foremost most important step to think about
1: uh,
0: is is has to do with the internal trigger. That's kind of the the promised land, the promised land of a habit forming product is to no longer require mm-hmm. the expensive advertising and the spammy marketing that's kind of the status quo today. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if Google had to spend money on ads to remind <laughs> you to use the product they'd go out of business, they can't right. afford to do that. Right. They have to build a habit or they die. Right. Uh, and, and, and so where we start typically is what's the itch? This is something that I think is far too frequently something that people in, in product design and development skip over. Mm-hmm. And we have to realize that every human behavior – Every human behavior, all motivation stems from just one place. And that place used to be – we used to think it's about the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. This Mm -hmm. is this Freud's pleasure principle. Mm -hmm. turns out that's not true. It is totally not true. Mm -hmm. It turns out that neurologically speaking, it's pain all the way down. (laughs) Everything we do, everything Mm -hmm. we do, even the pursuit of pleasure, desire itself, is painful. Wanting mm-hmm. is an urge, it's mm. a desire, it doesn't feel good. It's called the homeostatic response. That, mm-hmm. you know, when we're, when we're cold, we put on a coat, when we're hot, we take it off. When we're hungry, we feel hunger pangs. to eat. Uh, when we're full, we're stuffed, we stop eating. Mm-hmm. So we have to realize that everything your customer does or your user does interacting with your product is, is uh, predicated – through discomfort now we never want to create that discomfort we don't create internal triggers Mm -hmm. we find them and this is why i love my job is because i get to solve people's pain right (laughs) kind of like a doctor here (laughs) that's what your product should do and far too many product teams don't spend the time to understand what is our consumer's pain point on a psychological level they, Mm -hmm. they tend to be very superficial about the the functional needs of the product and the companies that really make it and really get their their customers are the ones that understand on a psychological level what their customers need.
1: Very very cool stuff. I got to ask you this, uh, Doctor Al, since you're uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm <laughs>
0: not a doctor, but I appreciate. That. <laughs> ah, well, I,
1: I love it because you're going to give a you're going to give a diagnosis for my yeah, for exactly. my listeners out there uh, on this. Yeah, I love the example you used because. Uh yeah, I was thinking about the 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 this previous example with Bing versus Google, right? And they have done the research where they've shown when you like you said when you strip away the brand names, you get a different perception of what what's the best. So you let them actually try it out, and they actually can find that Bing is actually um, seen as a better performing search engine. Let's say, um, or just as good, yeah, or, or just yeah. as good, which is which okay. is amazing. So help me, I'm Bing. So help yeah. me. Use the hook model, right? I mean, what am I doing wrong? How do I – or is it the case that once someone comes in and nails it, you're just sort of, you know, shit out of luck? How does this work? Talk to me about that.
0: That's a terrific question. So there are four ways to capture the competition's customer habit you, starting from the place that these four opportunities are pretty rare. Okay, so the the, the beauty of a habit forming product is if you have that habit, mm-hmm. you're in a great position because it's very hard for someone to change that habit. I mean, look at the case of Bing. You know, Bing used to pay people, literally pay people money, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> for yes. you to search. <laughs> That's how desperate they were. Yes. And, and still it didn't work because people were so ingrained in their habits. And this is for all kinds of things. I mean, the the, the studies find that about half of what you do every day. Every decision you make, half will be purely out of habit, something Mm. done with little or no conscious thought, Mm -hmm. and that's a very hard thing to change except for these four opportunities. The four opportunities are, number one, if you can send a user through the hook with faster velocity. So every once in a while, you find that there's an opportunity for someone to go through a trigger-action-reward-investment. Faster than mm. the, previous opportunity, the previous competitor. So mm-hmm. uh, if you look at, at Netflix versus Blockbuster, mm-hmm. uh, Netflix destroyed Blockbuster yes. because if you think about it, the internal trigger, when I came home from work and I just want to relax, I'm fatigued, I'm tired, I just want to relax with a good movie, think about all the steps. To provide relief with Blockbuster, mm-hmm. I got to go to the store. I got to find if, if there's a movie available. Take out my card, pay for it, mm-hmm. come home, put the DVD in the machine. Mm-hmm. When Netflix came out and just mailed you the red envelopes, we're not even talking about how easy it is to use today. But, right, right. You know, now that it's streaming, but mm-hmm. even, you know, a few years ago when they would send you those red envelopes. Think about how much easier it is to satisfy that craving for relaxation, to, to scratch that internal trigger mm-hmm. when the envelope is right there on your countertop.
2: Mm-hmm. Right? So mm-hmm. much easier.
0: So that was an opportunity for greater velocity through the hook.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Number two is greater frequency through the hook. So if you can become a product that engages the user more frequently throughout their day, that's another opportunity. So gotcha. one of the reasons that, that Facebook had to buy Instagram was that Facebook was built for a desktop-first interface,
2: Mm -hmm. whereas
0: Instagram was always mobile-first. And what Zuckerberg realized one day was that people were using Instagram more frequently because it was on a mobile device than they were using Facebook. And that was a big threat to his habit, so he had to buy Instagram. And I remember actually as a side note – when he bought Instagram, everybody in the valley laughed. A billion dollars for this stupid <laughs> photo app. I can't, you know, what a what a rip off. What a, he, he way over poor it
2: paid. Mm-hmm. You know,
0: now Instagram has been valued at a hundred billion dollars. It's sort of the deal of the of the century. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, so that's the second way mm-hmm. that you can figure out a way. And this typically happens when there's some kind of interface change. Got it. When there's the, you know, when technology becomes more ubiquitous, that's when the Um, New market entrants can beat the incumbents because of greater frequency of use. Gotcha. The third way is to make the reward more rewarding. So every once in a while, remember that third step of the hook, every once in a while you'll get a product that just finds a way to scratch the itch way better
2: Mm -hmm. than
0: a previous version. That doesn't happen often. Uh, uh, Harvard Business Review had this study where they found the the reward can't just be a little bit better. It has to be nine times better to escape that inertia of a habit. But it does happen every once in a while. And then gotcha. finally, the last mm-hmm. way, the fourth way, mm-hmm. is easier entry into the hook. So uh, a few years ago, uh, Microsoft Office used to be yep. the most widely used enterprise software. Today, it's not. Today, the most widely used enterprise software is Google Docs. Mm. Well, the way they captured that market, the way they changed this very entrenched habit of Microsoft Office was that Google Docs, was way easier to start using. There's no software, it was all in the cloud, and it was
2: free. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. if you
0: were a startup, or if you were a college student, and you just needed to use a a spreadsheet or a a word processor, getting into the habit of using Google Docs was just way easier than using Microsoft Office. So those are the four ways. It's greater velocity, greater frequency, make the reward more rewarding, or easier entry into the hook. Those are your four opportunities. But again, they don't come around often.
1: Gotcha. This is very, very cool. Nir, Ayal, thanks so much for coming on the show with us tonight. Oh, my real pleasure. Thank you so much. Listeners, you can find out more about Nir at Near and Far. <laughs> I got what you did there, sir. It's spelled N-I-R-A-N-D-F-A-R dot com. Or you can just follow him on Twitter at N-I-R-E-Y-A-L. Well... That's it for our show today. I want to thank our wonderful guests. Uh, thank you for listening, listeners. If you want to reach out after the show, feel free to email us at businessradio at businessradioatsiriusxm.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at bizradio132 or follow your boy AR, the Ayatollah of Rock and Rolla, on Twitter at amreed2 or check me out on the web at americastreet.com. Remember, we're here every Wednesday from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, replayed several times throughout the week. Till then, this has been Marketing Matters. I'm America Street, Business Radio, Sirius XM 132.